This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. I want to talk to you about belong, belonging, you know, and what the Bible says and, you know, things that would really challenge us to be all that God wants us to be. Because there are some obstacles to people belonging, you know. And there's some wonderful keys that helps us to belong to what God is on the move doing. And if you've ever been baptized, water baptized, you know. Like there's a big old baptismal tank under the floor up here. And you know when people go in, they, they you know, already declared that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I mean, they're declaring that they belong to God. You know, that's what they're doing when they're baptized. They're declaring that they belong to Him. You know, Socrates, once upon a time, he said, There is no possession more valuable than a good and a faithful friend. He says, The greatest possession that you can have is a good and faithful friend. Do you have a good and a faithful friend? Yes. Think about that. That's most wonderful. That's awesome. That's what it says here in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself. A man who has friends, what's that next word? Must. Must. (laughs) A man who has friends must. Show himself friendly. So do you have friends? If you don't have friends, well, you may not be showing yourself friendly, you know. But a a man who has friends must show himself friendly. That's what the Bible tells us here. And let me just read you a little article I came across. Mr. Sam Rayburn was Speaker of the United States House of Representatives longer than any other man in our history. There's a story about him that reveals the kind of a man he really was. The teenage daughter of a friend of his had died suddenly one night. Early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door. And when he opened it, there was Mr. Rayburn standing outside. And the speaker said, I just came by to see what I can do to help. And the father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? And the man replied that they had not taken time for breakfast. So Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. While he was working in the kitchen... The man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president and told him that I had a friend who was in trouble and that I couldn't come and have breakfast with him today. Pretty big to do when you say, well, Mr. President, I I have something more pressing right now. I've got a friend. Who needs my time and who needs my attention? So let me ask you a question. 
this morning. Are you willing to do some homework? Yeah. There was four people responding. <laughs> I'll ask you one more time. You willing to do some homework? Yes. Okay. I'm going to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to take somebody out for some coffee. It might be around the campfire. It might be in your home. It might be to a restaurant. You know, however it is, because that's how friendships are made and are stimulated, you know, by just making some time for each other. And sometimes it's a hard thing to do because we all have such busy, busy schedules, you know. Francis Bacon said, a joy shared is a double joy. It's twice as good a joy. Now, if I'm out fishing and I catch this wonderful, awesome, you know, you know, seven-pound bass, you know, it's pretty good. But if I have a friend there with me sharing the experience together, it's twice as good. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and that's what he was talking about here. A joy shared is a double joy. And a sorrow shared is only half of a sorrow. It takes some of the pain out of it when you have a friend to share the experience with you. You know, Mark Twain said, to get the full value out of joy, you must, here's that word again, you must have someone to share it with. To get the full value of joy, you know, if you're on a ball team and you make a touchdown, if you got somebody to share the experience with, it is, it is grander than if you was all by your little lonesome self. You know, as children, we all want to belong. Well, we want to belong. That's, that's just something that's from childhood. And I think it just stays with us throughout our life. You know, I know I wanted to belong when I was a kid, you know. We want to be accepted by other people. We, we want to fit in, you know. We want other people to like us, you know. We try very hard to be accepted. And we do that even as adults. We, we, we try very, very, very hard to, to belong. By the clothes that we wear, you know, by the way we comb our hair, by the team we pull for. Do y'all pull for a particular team? Yeah? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to tell me the team that you pull for. On the count of three. Two, three. Hey, I heard all kinds of, I even heard our name in there. Faith Living Church, you know. How about that, you know? But we try very hard to be accepted, you know, and uh, just trying to fit in and trying to belong. We, we we find ourselves addicted to brands. You ever notice that? Trying to fit in, trying to belong. We, 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 we connect with certain kinds of brands, you know, to be acceptable, to, to be loved, and to be cool. We go with certain particular chosen brands, you know. We're taught that we have, you know, to have the right stuff, to be honest with you, we have to have certain brands. And uh, you tell me what you think of this statement. I am what I own. No. Nah. No. I am what I wear. 
No. Nah. Exactly right. Now, there are people who feel that way, and people believe that, but it's not the truth. It really isn't, you know. We can't take any of the stuff that we have with us. So we don't want to be alone, but we do want to belong. We want to belong. It's important that we belong, but nobody really wants us to do life totally alone, you know. I think you understand what I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, and that's, that's kind of peer pressure stuff, you know. I remember being laughed at and, and picked on as a kid, my own self, and being hurt by kids because, I don't know if you notice or not, but kids can be pretty cruel. Yeah. Yeah. You know where they learn that from? Adults, their parents. Their parents. And where did their, their parents learn it from? Their parents. Their parents. And anyhow, this kind of stuff goes down at times, but we learn God's ways and we learn God's principles. There's this thing that's called peer pressure that tries to get us to convert to something by the pressures peers would put upon us, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I remember being <clears throat> one of the last ones chosen. I don't know if y'all have done this up here a whole lot, but when we'd be at school or we'd be in a gym class and we would choose up teams, whether you're playing football or basketball or baseball, they'd have two captains and they would, all the kids would be around and go, hey, choose me, choose me, choose me, choose me. And I was in those groups quite a few times in my life and I can assure you that most of the time I was the last one chosen. You know why? There wasn't nobody else left on the field. They had no choice but to choose the last guy. That was just the rule. And it ain't really a whole lot of fun being the last one chosen. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like they had no choice about it whatsoever. You know, I was the last one chosen. And they treated me like I really didn't belong on their team. And they ignored my ideas and my suggestions. And I experienced that quite a bit in the, the younger days of school, you know, for me. Let me uh, read you another little article I came across. In Guidepost Magazine, Donald uh, Varen of Oceanside, California, he told of serving as a young <coughs> hospital corpsman in the invasion of Guam during World War II. Suddenly his boat came to a grinding halt. They had hit a coral reef and the commanding officer ordered everyone off the ship. And Donald jumped into the ocean and he sank like a rock. His carbine rifle, his medical pack, his canteens, his boots, and all of his extra ammo and all the other gear he had with him was dragging him down to the bottom. He forced himself to the surface, gasping for air, only to sink again. He tried to pull off his boots, but the effort exhausted him, and he suddenly realized he wasn't going to make it. Just then he saw a man thrashing in the water next to him, and in desperation, he clutched onto him. That proved enough to hold him up and get him to the reef where he was picked up by a rescue boat. 
But Donald felt so guilty about grabbing the drowning man to save himself that he never told anyone what had happened. About six months later, on shore leave in San Francisco, he stopped in a restaurant. A sailor in uniform waved him over to sit with him. And as he did, he announced to his friends, this is my buddy. He saved my life. What are you talking about, asked Donald. Don't you remember, said the man, we were in the water together at Guam and you grabbed on to me and I was going down and you helped me up. He wasn't aware that he helped somebody. But I'll tell you something, two people struggling together is much more powerful than one. Did you know that? I mean, there are... There are time after time after time that, you know, bears out to be the truth. And listen to what it says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two people are better than one, and they can help each other succeed. When you think you're failing and you're working together, it's like, wow, I, I, I didn't know we could do that together, you know? There was one... Year, Susan and Judah, our oldest son, we were you know, getting ready to celebrate Christmas. And when we moved to New England, I had never, ever bought a Christmas tree. Now, I didn't know that was a thing that you did, you know, to be honest with you. I don't think people bought them down south. We went out in the woods and cut one down. Every once in a while, you could find one that had lights already on it, you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. I'm teasing about the lights, okay? That was the joke part, okay? But we were out... And uh, that's what we did and found a couple of trees. And they were pretty scraggly trees. You know, they were cedar trees and very scraggly. But I, I took those. That's what we had available to us. And we took these two trees. I got into my, you know, toolbox and I wired the bases of two trees together. And then I went almost to the top and I, I wired the, the two trees together there. And two scraggly old Christmas trees it's starting to look pretty good. You know, anybody would have been honored to have such a tree. But there was a little spot from the top down there to the bottom. There was a little spot that kind of opened up just a little bit. And I worked with it a little bit. And I built a manger scene right smack dab in the middle of the tree. Two trees that were wired together. It was our most beautiful Christmas tree ever. You know, two that seemed to be rejected became something absolutely beautiful. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 again. It says two. Chapter 4 verse 9. I'm sorry. There you go. Chapter 4 verse 9. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. Verse 10. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. How, how many of you here can ride a bicycle? How many here can ride a unicycle? Nope. Not near as many ride a unicycle as they can ride a bicycle, okay? Well, I don't really ride a, a unicycle either, but I, I kind of like the idea of a bicycle that's got two wheels on it. And where the Bible was saying that two is better than one, two wheels, I think, is better than, than one, you know, in this, you know, situation. See, God doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you to... Belong, just like that Christmas trees. There was two trees, and they surely belong together. 
you know. Just like me and you. Just like us. We belong together. We absolutely, positively, surely do, you know. Verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? You know, 20 some odd years ago, our oldest son, Judah, it was on a Sunday afternoon like today, later in the day, and he asked me, he said, Dad, you, you, you want to go hiking and, and camping with us? You know? And I told him, I said, you know what, buddy? I appreciate the offer, but I got so much going on. I'm so busy. I don't think I'll make it this time. He said, okay. But as time progressed, and I didn't have much time to choose, it just came upon me that, you know what, I think I'll go with you. He and another friend, uh, Jonathan, a good friend of his, he, he went to the church here. And I said, yeah, I think I'll go with you. So we went up to the area of Mohawk Mountain. There's a big ski slope up there because it's probably colder than a lot of places. It had a lot of snow. And all but here, there was no snow. It was about like it is today. And I haven't been outside since early this morning. Is it snowing out there? Okay, it was just like it is today. There was no snow. And everything seemed to be pretty safe enough. So I went with them up there. And uh, we put our headlamps on because we didn't get there until way after dark. And we hiked over the rocks and the boulders and through the forest. And we found a place to camp for the night. But there was snow there. There was snow and ice everywhere there. We had no clue that it was there. And so once we made it to a place to camp at, and we put up our old tent, you know, all three of us were sleeping in there. And... uh, you know what a little uh, a hydration bag is? Uh, a lot of them are called like a platypus or something that goes in your backpack. And it's uh, like a gallon of water and you've got this rubber hose that goes to you and you can drink while you're hiking and things like that. Well, we all had one of those and, and Judah had one and it was way below freezing. And uh, I challenged him and said, hey, you know what, you got to stick those things in your sleeping bag so they won't freeze. You'll wake up in the morning and all your water will be frozen, you know. And uh, during the night, unknowns to Judah, you know, the cap on his, it got turned. Maybe he rolled over on it or something, and he got all wet during the night. His, his water leaked out, and it got him all wet. And when we had gotten up and the wind was blowing 40 miles an hour, it was really, really cold and windy. And I had heated my little backpack and stove up, and uh, made some hot water, and we were just making a little bowl of uh, uh, oatmeal. And he was over there, and he's not looking too good at the moment, and he's going like, Dad, you want my oatmeal? I, I'm not feeling too good right now, you know? And then he passed out and hit the ground. And uh, his friend was sitting over there on a stump, and he said, is he choking on something? He hasn't eaten anything. He hasn't eaten anything of it as of yet, so he's not, I knew he wasn't choking on something. We tried to get him up, tried to get him up, bring him over back to where we had our, our backpacks and our gear and all, and uh, he was having a difficulty staying conscious, you know. And so I ripped our gear apart, and I stuffed him and his buddy into a sleeping bag inside the tent, you know. And then I was trying to heat up some hot tea and some things just to warm him up from the inside. And he kept going unconscious. Yes, hypothermia. Yeah, it was hypothermia. And hypothermia is not a, a laughing matter at all. And then I had an old cell phone. This was about 
How many years ago was it? It's about 23. 23 years ago. So you can imagine our phones were a little bit different than they are right now. Anyhow, I got a couple of phone calls out, one to Susan, and uh, Miracle was just a little baby, baby. you know, at the time. And uh, Brian, he was one of my staff, Brian Marcoux, he was one of our staff at that time, and he's recently uh, come back. And uh, he uh, went with Susan, because they had the baby, and and uh, to Mohawk Mountain to try to see what they could do. And she'd called the uh, um, state, police. state police and they had rescue squad and helicopters and uh, hikers and quads. quads and all kinds of stuff trying to find us, but they couldn't. And so she, they'd gotten in the car and was going up Route 8. And I'll let you tell what happened there. I ran out of gas. You ever run out of gas? In an emergency situation? It's not really fun. And, I, and we were in the passing lane, so I couldn't even pull over to the right side of the road. I pulled over to the left side of the road, got off the road, and immediately, as soon as I got off the road, got out of the car, and a guy in a pickup truck pulled up behind me and said, do you need gas? And I said, yes, I do. He said, here, I got five gallons in my truck, and he filled it up. I think he was an angel. You know, I mean, the timing was amazing. We weren't, you know, we didn't hardly miss a beat. So we went on up to the... Mohawk, the entrance of the park there, and there were, you know, rescue people all over the place. I said, have you found them yet? And I mean, here I was when, when he was on the phone with me, he was crying. He said, Susan, I'm losing him. And I'm like, he's dying. And he said, I'm losing him. He, I can't get him to come too. And so I didn't know what was taking place in, in all that and just, you know, went there. And they said, we can't find them. And I said, is there a map? Because the night before when they were charting their course, I, I don't think I ever have done that before, but I looked and I saw they, where they pointed and we said, we'll stay here for the night. And so I said, is there a map around in there? They said, yep, there's one over on the, you know, the, at the entrance. So we went over and I said, that's where they are. And they were able to get to them within a few minutes with the quads. But it was pretty hairy. You know, but by that time, he was reviving. Yeah, well, we, we were... They were in the sleeping bag, and that's the way you, uh, you know, use your heat, your resources. They you heat up each other, and I was heating up some tea, and he finally came to. He couldn't talk; it was all blurry and sorry, but he was coming to by the time the emergency people got there, and we went to the hospital and and all that. But I'll tell you, you know, hypothermia is not a, a laughing matter, and I had read many years earlier. It was just a little book I found in a backpacking store. It said, don't die on the mountain. That's what the book said. And it told you what to do if you had hypothermia, you know. And people die even in the summertime by just laying on the cold ground and not having something under them to keep that cold from drawing the heat out of their body and all. But anyhow, this verse right here, would you read it again? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? And that's the truth of it. You know, you, you warm each other and you can survive hypothermia. And the military often, and when I was in ROTC, they taught us this, that you always check in your buddy's face to see if you got frostbite on, on parts of you or, or frostbite on your hands and, and how to warm you up if you get frostbite and, and hypothermia and all those kinds of things. Verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two stand. But two can stand back to back and conquer. 
Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. If you'll remember David's mighty men, they tell of an incident where his mighty men, they were back to back and they, they fought and they was victorious because they were fighting back to back, working together, you know. Um, have, you, have you saw this, this picture up here? Have you figured out what it is yet? It's like big old elephant feet or something, don't it? It's, it's redwood trees. And redwood trees are pretty amazing things. Redwood trees uh, grow over 300 foot tall. Now, if you go outside and you'll look up at the steeple, our steeple is 90 foot. So imagine 300 foot is, is three times higher than our steeple, you know, there's a few extra feet there and all. And, and you think about that, how high. And, and they withstand tremendous storms and all this kind of stuff. Redwood trees do. It's a huge tree. Redwood trees have been known to be over, over a million pounds. A million pounds is over, you know, around 300 foot tall. You got to imagine how deep those roots must run. Well, I did a little research and I found out the roots of a redwood tree run five foot deep. Now, I'm, I'm five foot ten. So the redwood tree roots go down about this deep. How do they withstand all the storms and hold up a million pounds and all the things that they do? Although the roots run five foot deep, they run 125 foot in every direction. And they interact and they connect with all the other redwood trees and their roots. And any other tree that happens to be around, they connect together and they support one another. That's what redwood trees do. You, you, you rarely ever would see a redwood tree, one single redwood tree out there growing alone somewhere. Because it doesn't have the structure that it needs to stand when storms come their way. See, redwood trees, they belong together with other redwood trees. It keeps them standing. That's what it does. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. The evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens, and God called the space sky. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the water seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees 
from which they came. And that is what happened. Hold on just a second before you continue on there. I've got a bunch of seed bearing fruit up here. Aren't those cute little apples? Would you like an apple? They're miniature apples. I didn't know there was such a thing. I guess it's a new thing, apparently. Mm. They've probably been around for a long <laughs> time. Mm-hmm. At least they didn't sell them, though. Mm-hmm. You know what? For me? Sure. Mm-hmm. There's some oranges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's raspberries and big old blueberries. Those are, they're both huge. I don't think I can hold on to all of them. There's strawberries. And here's a bunch of blackberries. And just like the strawberries, you can see... What's all those things you see there? Seeds. Lots of seeds. Hmm. Those are huge too. They are. Can we put these down here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Raspberries are pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe move the blueberries on top. I mean, blackberries on top. Mmm. You got seeds everywhere. Yep. Seed bearing fruit. Mmm. Have your apples. So, did you finish reading that? The, you la- apple? the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed bearing plants, and trees with seed bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. The evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let great lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the sun and the moon. The larger one to govern the the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. 
And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. He, he, he said that we're made after his likeness, to, to be made in the image of almighty God. So we're able to think and, and, and reason and plan and dream and feel and, and to be like him. That's how he created us. He wanted us to belong to him and, and to his family. That's what that was all about. And then listen to what it says here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone, but it is good for man to belong. And we are seeking from early days in our life how to belong. We want to belong. We don't want to be all alone and on our own. You know, we're, we're cre- have been created to connect with God and to connect with God's creation and just like the the redwoods you know we we need to connect to other people we need to to belong you know and connect together it says in Genesis chapter 1 verse uh, 26 this is the second part it says they will reign over the fish in the sea Hmm. they will reign they'll rule over the fish now I'm a fisherman so I think that's a pretty cool thing and you've got you know, power over all the fish and uh. <laughs> the birds in the sky. I won't even talk about ducks and turkeys and pheasant and <laughs> grouse and all those things. But the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Except what? What was not good? That man would be alone. To be alone. God wants us to belong and to be connected and not to be alone. You know. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Just as our bodies have many parts... Hold on a second. Let me... <laughs> yeah? Yeah, many parts. You know, uh, this is my wife. I can pick on her if I want to. <laughs> Anyhow, it says that just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body, the church. Yep. We are all many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Did you hear that? The Bible says we belong to each other. We are connected like the redwood trees. We belong. We're connected together and that's how we're able to stand when we're connected, united together. That's that's what he's talking about here. Uh, One of the most remembered 
uh, American speeches of the 20th century was a plea for all human beings to be able to eat together at the same table of fellowship, to join hands and sing a common song. It was Martin Luther King Jr. And he wasn't just talking about his personal dream, but the, a human dream and, and God's dream how he had created us. It's really not good for man to be alone. God never intended it to be that way. You know, it's, it's good for man to belong. We belong to each other, to the body of Christ. We, we belong and are to be connected to God and then we're to belong and to be connected to God's family. There's no pain quite like the pain of not belonging. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, you know. We've probably all tasted it, you know, but rarely do we want to talk about not belonging and not being connected and, and all. Mother Teresa said loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. And no one wants anybody to know that they're a leper. No one wants anybody to know that they're just a loner and they're all alone. You know, they, they don't want that. We see many great friendships in the Bible. There's Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb and David and Jonathan and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, Peter and John and Paul and Silas and Barnabas and, and Mark. And these stories would have been much different if these people didn't have a friend. Our they story would, would have been different. That's exactly right. But, we, but, there probably wouldn't be a faith living church in Well, you're absolutely right. And, and God has it in, in his plan for our life that, that we belong, that we are connected together. You know, Jesus needed friends, you know. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but he chose how many? He chose 12 friends. And here in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. He ordained 12 men that they would belong together with him. That's, that's what he says. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. And that, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. To preach. To have power for healing of sickness and disease. And to cast out diseases because these, these 12 friends and him, they, they belong together. And he you know, filled them with the power that he had. That's what he did, you know. And out of you know, 12, there was an inner circle of three, and out of that three, you know, John seemed to be Jesus' best friend, if you read about it, you know, and all the Bible refers to John as the beloved. And if you remember when Jesus was hanging on his cross, there he said, Hey, John, be, be, behold thy mother. And Jesus was talking about Mary. He says, John, will you take care of Mary, my mom, as I pass? And John just put his arm around her and he held her and said, we'll, we'll take care of her, Jesus. That was one of his friends, you see. And, and we need friends. We need these relationships in our lives, you know. Jesus chose to need friends, you know. They're in Gethsemane. 
He needed friends. And if Jesus needed friends, you think we need friends? Yes. I think we probably do. Why do so many people lack deep, intimate relationships, even in the church? Why would we lack those deep, intimate relationships? Our lifestyle often doesn't promote close friendship. We're very busy people, too busy. And if you're too busy for relationships, well then, you're too busy. That's just the truth of it. With little time, and we allow the urgent to crowd out the important. And the urgent is seldom important, and the important is seldom urgent, to be honest with you. We're a small talk society. Uh, We talk about weather and sports and hobbies and politics and movies, but we break out in hives if the conversation was to ever get any deeper than that lots of times. You know, we're a fast food, you know, people, and we're not used to, to waiting for anything. We want everything to happen right away. And the requirement for true intimacy is chunks of unhurried time. And I came across an article. That's one of the reasons we started the fellowship meals that we have once a month. You're right. To provide that opportunity. And it's been awesome. Have you been to any of the meals that we've been having once a month? It's been awesome. And, oh, man, we haven't had, like, Burger King or Wendy's, and I've I've done my share of that in years gone by, but we've had awesome, fantastic, wonderful, you know, I'm talking about high-end meals. You know, on a Friday night, once a month, we'll have a a meal. Saturday night. Saturday night. They don't come on Friday night because you won't be here. (laughs) On a Saturday night once a month, from uh, 5 to 6, we'll have a meal together. So we get reacquainted with people who haven't seen since the pandemic started uh, lots of times. That's just the way it is. And then on Sunday morning, from 8 to 9, we'll have breakfast together. And then after the 11 o'clock service, we'll have uh, a, a luncheon. I mean, an awesome, fantastic, mouth-watering luncheon together it gives us opportunity to develop our relationships. To and get some to know people, people come to all three. They do. And absolutely. Can. And everybody's welcome to come to all three. To get to know some friends they haven't seen in a long time or get acquainted with some people they have never met before. You know, that's just the truth of it. Uh, there's an article I came across. During the worst days of the Civil War, an old friend of Abraham Lincoln's, a Springfield, Illinois shop keeper named Billy Brown decided he had traveled to Washington to see his old friend, the President of the United States. An aide to the President asked Billy if he had an appointment. No, sir, replied Billy. I ain't got no appointment and it ain't necessary. Maybe it's all right and fitting to have appointments, but I reckon Mr. Lincoln's old friends don't need no appointments. So you just trot along in there and you tell him Billy Brown's here and see what he says. The aide frowned. But he went on and in about two minutes the door popped open and out came Mr. Lincoln, face aglow. Billy, he said, pumping his friend's hand, just shaking his hand up and down. Now I'm so glad to see you. Come right on in. 
you're going to stay for supper with Mary and me tonight. As soon as Mr. Lincoln could discharge his immediate responsibilities, the two men went to the back of the house and they sat down on the stoop. And as Billy later put it, we talked and we talked. He asked me about pretty nigh everybody in Springfield. And I just let loose and told him about the weddings and the births and the funerals and the buildings. And I guess there wasn't a yarn I heard in the last three and a half years that while he had been away that I didn't spend for him. And he laughed. You ought to hear him laugh. Just did my heart good. For I could see that they'd been, what they'd been doing to him. Always he was a thin man, but Lordy, he was thinner than ever now. And his face was kind of drawn and, and gray, enough to make you cry. Late that evening, Billy said goodbye. And the president tried to get him to stay the night. But Billy, not wanting to impose, declined. And as they parted, Lincoln said, Billy, you did, what did you come down here for? I came to see you, Mr. Lincoln, but you ain't asked me for anything yet, Billy. What is it? Out with it. No, Mr. Lincoln, just wanted to see you. Felt kind of lonesome. Been so long since I seen you and I was afraid I'd forget some of them yarns if I didn't unload them on you soon. Lincoln gazed into his friend's eyes. Do you mean to tell me you didn't come all the way from Springfield, Illinois, uh, to, to ask? You just came to visit me? And you ain't got no complaints in your pockets or advice on your sleeves? Yes, sir. That's about it. Tears came to Lincoln's eyes and ran down his cheeks. I'm homesick, Billy. Just plumb homesick. And it seems as if this year would never be over. This war would never be over. Many a night I can see the boys dying in the fields. And I can hear their mothers crying for them at home. And I can't help it, Billy. You'll never know just what good you have done for me today. That's two friends just hanging out together. In the present, Abraham Lincoln, he surely desperately needed a friend at that point in his life. You know. You can't fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule. Did I already ask y'all, have y'all been hanging out with your friends? Did you ever answer me? Have you been hanging out with some friends? Yes. Not just to ask for something from them personally, but just to hang out and just to talk. Do, do, do you know that you have relationships with people and you just belong? Are you always asking for something, asking for this and asking for that? Are you just ever just hang out just because you know you, you belong, you know? Wise people don't try to microwave friendship. You can't do community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't mourn in a hurry 
with those who mourn. And you can't rejoice in a hurry with those who rejoice. Many people lack great friends for the simple reason they've never made pursuing community a high priority in their life. Developing friendships is risky. It's risky to be open and honest. It's risky to let someone inside. It's risky to allow someone close enough to see the real you. Because they might hurt you. We don't really like to be vulnerable, do we? Most of us have been burned in the past. You ever been burned? And so we're a little gun shy because we've been burned in the past, you know? How did being hurt by somebody make you feel? You know, think about it. But we do belong together. We do. Um, if you'll listen to what the psalmist has to say here, in Psalms 55, verse 6. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness, interlude. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Verse 12 says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Jesus had friends betray him. What was that guy's name? Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. He was one of his 12 closest of friends, you know. Some folks choose to be a lone ranger. People choose to be a lone ranger and not to just belong. Just to be belong. To be well connected with other people. And it's not really what they want, but it just seems to be safer to be a lone ranger sometimes, it seems. They settle for life in the lowlands instead of risking the climb to the high ground, to the high ground of intimate friendship. I'm going to tell you something, though. Friends are worth the risk. They genuinely are worth the risk. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. And how does, how does Jesus accept us? Just the way we are. Just the way we are. As time progresses, as we hang out with Jesus, he'll bring about a transformation and changes, but he accepts us just the way we are. When, when you meet people, are you always trying to change them? Think about that. Are you always trying to change them? Are you always trying to control them? Are you always trying to manipulate them? He says here, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. See, true friends love when things are going well, but true friends love when things seem that they'll never go well again. True friends love each other during the good and the bad. There are some who would try to manipulate you, maybe, you know. But there are those who just want to be a redwood tree, just wants to connect and, and just wants to belong. 
And I think that's something that God wants us to understand how this works. The, the North American Indian's word for friend is translated, one who carries my sorrows on his back. Remember the Lone Ranger? He had a friend. What, what was his friend's name? Tonto. Tonto. Do you remember what he called the Lone Ranger? Kimo Sabi. Kimo Anybody ever called you Kimo Sabi? I've called a lot of people Kimo Sabi. Kimo Sabi means my dearest and most trusted friend. Kimo Sabi. That's a positive term there. It's a, a dear and a trusted friend. Proverbs 17, 17 in the Message Bible says, Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. John 15, verse 13 says, This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Put your life on the line for your friends. And uh, I ask you to do the coffee with a friend. And, and uh, again, I'll ask you to invite a friend. I tell you, one of the best times to invite somebody to church, because it's all about getting closer to Jesus, is in the Christmas season, you know? And you know what you can do when you invite them to church? You can invite them to breakfast, lunch, or, or, or dinner at the same time, and the church pays the bill for it. Don't cost you a penny. But as we reach out and we let other people know, hey, you belong. You are welcome. You're part of what God's doing here. And, and many of you, and many who have already passed on, because we've been here for 43 years now, you know, many have helped to carry the financial responsibility of Faith Living Church, to be honest with you, over the years. So others would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And there was a, a brother real recently, and uh, you know he came and he gave a gift, you know, a sizable gift, because he wanted to impact Faith Living Church. Just out of the clear blue. It wasn't required or requested. He just, he wanted to do that. Because he understood belonging and, and being connected. And, and he wanted to impact our, our church family. It's amazing how God does those kinds of things. A friend is someone who will put your needs above their own. Will give up their time, their energy, and their resources and their convenience to help you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love, this is in the Message Bible, love never gives up. Never. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head and doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first, and love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything. Trust God always. Love always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, as iron, sharpens an, as iron sharpens iron, 
so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron, and I usually have these two things together, or one similar to it, and what I can do, and I, I usually, I'm going to say, anytime I'm awake, I usually have this knife in my pocket. Is that about true? Mm-hmm. I don't think I sleep with it, do I? No. No. Thank the Lord, you know. But if I get up during the night. It's right by his side. It's in my pocket before I go outside and check on the dogs and things. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. A friend puts the cutting edge on their friend. So you're on the cutting edge of what God wants you to do. You know? And, and iron, it sharpens iron. And you can see how valuable my little sharpening uh, steel is here. It keeps a, a sharp edge on my knife. And I use my knife every day for something I genuinely do. And as iron sharpens iron, so a friend, a friend. Uh, and, and we belong and, and we sharpen each other. We, it keeps our, each other on the cutting edge of what God's wanting to do. And there's a a book titled, Why Am I Afraid to Show You Who I Really Am? Hmm. The answer, because you may not like who I am. And who I am is all I have. So we need to allow people to get to know us and, and to belong and to let their roots connect and all. And we don't need to manipulate things. And we just need to, to love the, the way God says to do it. And to sharpen each other. And to help each other become all that God wants us to be. But I know our time is up here. And I would just like to challenge you, if you would, with me, to reaffirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And declare with me that he is our closest of all friends. And we do belong to him. You know, and we want to get closer to him. Absolutely. So if you're here with us right now or watching online, if you've already declared your, your devotion to Almighty God, well, would you reaffirm it with me now? And if you're watching online and you've never done so, or you're in here and you've never done so, would you declare your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with us right now as we pray? Would you bow your heads? Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I do believe that you love me. I do believe that you love me. And you have a purpose for my life. And you have a purpose for my life. Give me your wisdom, Almighty God. Give me your wisdom, Almighty God. And may your will be done in me. And may your will be done in me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I believe he gave his life. I believe he gave his life. He gave his all. He gave his all. For me. For me. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of our hearts. And he's knocking at the door of our hearts. And I open wide those doors. And I open wide those doors. And I welcome Jesus. And I welcome Jesus. Into every area of my life. Into every area of my life. As my Savior. As my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. As my soon coming King. As my soon coming King. And as my best friend. As my best friend. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.